again, Father, allowing me to be a conduit for your truth, your knowledge and wisdom and the words that you put in my mouth to deliver to those that have an ear to let them hear and those that want to be offended that they may be offended because Father God has witnessed and learned and taught of your only begotten Son who came for us. He brought truth. He brought the word. And when they threw the law of Moses in his face, Father God, very simply, he could have looked them boldly and directly and said, I am the law of Moses, which would have brought more hatred from them, Father. He kept it to himself. He kept it in, but you are the law of Moses. Abba Yahweh Aman, Eshu Aman, Paracletos Aman. I was reading through some material the other day and I saw that. I, I loved that. He could have looked them right in the eye because it's true. <laughs> the truth is the truth, period. Jesus could have looked them boldly in the eye and said, I am the law of Moses. They kept throwing that in his face. Oh, and that would have got individuals like the students of uh, Nicodemus and uh, his, his antagonistic protege, Shmuel, that would have really thrown him up because he was the lead protagonist. Pro, pro, uh, I can't even say the word. I got all excited. Um, that would have just really upset him. Oh, now here's this guy who is claiming to be the law. Well, hello, he is the word who was with God from the beginning, who is the word, who is the truth, and was made flesh and then came here. And while we were still at enmity with God and he, he walked around healing people, blessing people encouraging people, uplifting people. And then he went and he died on that cross. Not a regular crucifixion. I've shared this with you before. Crucifixion was fairly common in the Roman arena, but they didn't crucify everyone like they did to Jesus. Most people were tied and bound to the cross and just left out there for days, starving, thirsting. And then finally they just got so weak they couldn't hold themselves up on that little platform that they put there for their feet anymore. And when they were just about done, then the Romans would come and they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up on their legs anymore to keep themselves alive. Because I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, I'll, I'm gonna have to get back in history some more on this and, and research this, but if they went past a certain time, then they just cut them down and let them go. Well, the Romans couldn't have that. They had to fill that pit. Oh, yeah. But Jesus Christ was laid on the cross, on the cross beam they put down there, and they hammered spikes through his feet. And into his hands. And he died for me. He came and he did that for me. He was thinking about me before he came here. Before he came to our plane of existence. He had me on his mind.
He had each one of you on his mind. And before you can get all raspy and get your knickers all in a twist so you sit, can't sit comfortably while you drink your coffee, think on that. He was thinking about you before he came and he died. Do you think that I would be telling you this stuff and making things up? If I was making things up and I was not telling you God's truth, his words and his knowledge and his wisdom, I would put my name back on this podcasting. This doesn't belong to me. This belongs to my father. He made this happen. That's why my name isn't even on there when you see it. Look, check the title out. Before. I had my name on it before, and then I thought, this isn't even mine. I didn't do, God gave this to me. God gave this to me. And I told him, Father, if you believe this is a good platform that I can get the word out to more people, better, as a wider theater, then you make it happen. 30 minutes later or so, got back onto that same computer page, flipping through there, and all of a sudden I caught my eye. This little symbol. Little purple square with the yellow squiggly line in it. And it's called Anchor. Now, Many of you might not even consider the profundity of that situation in and of itself, but let me share it with you so that the way I look at it, my perspective. Anchor. The symbol first caught my eye. And then the name. Whoa. And I was thinking about an old song that I used to sing in church when I was a small child growing up. Jesus is our anchor, an anchor in the time of storm. He's our rock, he's our shelter. All these adjectives that are attached to him and having to do with an anchor He is called our anchor. Go through the Old Testament, you'll find it in a number of places. Paul talks about it. But then I'm, you know, sitting here just now thinking of purple. What is purple? Purple is the color of royalty. The royal anchor. And here's the other thing that Paul describes is that the rope that ties us to our anchor, that golden rope that we can hold on to, and when we pull ourselves, when we get adrift and we pull ourselves toward our Lord, we're pulling on that golden rope that pulls us right through the word of God and pulls us toward our heavenly shore. Oh my gosh. So see for me and my perception, now maybe that doesn't mean much to you. But for me, royalty, golden rope, my anchor rope that pulls me toward my Lord, my King, my Sovereign, 
my kingdom home, that I am an adopted heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven because God adopted me. Yeah, it's pretty profound for me. Maybe not so much for you, and that's okay. But it means a lot. I'm going to share something that um, some things that I've got going on here. So I just glanced at my notes and realized that there's a confirming and a um, kind of a thread that binds and goes through for something I've shared with you a while ago, but specifically this one is um, it's pretty it's very significant and something important that, that we need to remember and realize so Coming to God, and, and many of us do this, and I am as guilty as the next. Individuals are all different, but in many respects, we're the same. We think that darkness is able to hide us from God from what we're doing that we shouldn't be doing and that we think we can get away with it because we're hiding. (laughs) Foolish, foolish, foolish. Omniscient. All-knowing. Omnipresent. Always present. And omnipotent. All-powerful. Satan is none of those things, but yet he gets us to believe that God will close his eyes, he slumbers, he turns away. The only turning away done is when we do it to the Lord God and we turn away from Jesus and prayer. That's the only turning away there is. God has promised. You go all the way back to the beginning of this word, his holy word, the truth, the knowledge and wisdom that God imparted to us through the Holy Bible. Go back to the beginning. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. When the nation of Israel is getting ready to leave and they're whining and crying and carrying on, you know, about all these different things that are going to befall them and all these things that are going to come down on them. So, it's an important aspect that we must remember that we cannot, the devil tries to get us to believe that we are less than and that we're able to hide from God and that, um, 
you know, all these things that we can get away with. And here's the things that we must remember is that we cannot hide from God. Don't listen to the enemy because he is, first of all, you have to remember, he is at enmity with God and he desires nothing more than to have us separated from the Lord God Almighty. And he wants us to be away from God. He wants us to turn away from God. And he wants us to believe that we can hide things from God. And back when things were going on, they had the giants that lived in the land that was promised to Canaan, that to Caleb. Caleb went to Joshua and said, hey, I'm not going to believe this spirit of the devil. I'm going to believe what my God told me. And we tried. We tried. But they still believed and they chose to believe the diminished truth and the absolute lies that were told by these foolish men who were fearful in themselves. So that's where it starts first. Remember what they spoke when they told the people all the negative reports. They said, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Saw ourselves as grasshoppers. It can't be done. The sovereign Lord God, the creator of all things, Yahweh, that was his holy name, maker of all things made, Yahweh. They didn't believe it to be true. They grumbled when they left Egypt. Oh, look, we got nothing to eat. He fed them quail. He fed them pheasant when they got tired of the quail. He gave them manna from heaven. Manna, angels eat it. But they whined and cried and complained about it anyway. Why? Why, you may ask? What's his point? Point is that they were relying on this as, as many of us do. The sustenance of the temporal plane of existence that we live in. And therein is the error that we make. And it's a difficult thing. God knows it's difficult. But hear, hear this. Hear me when I share this with you. Solomon 
the son of David. He wound up building the temple because David had done something. Well, actually he had done a number of somethings. And um, we have to recall that, you know, David went through and he repented and he kept repenting and, and going, but turning back to God and everything. God, God loved that in him. And he also called David a man after my own heart. He was. David did these things. And the Lord, the Lord brought justice to him. And it broke David's heart, actually. It actually broke his heart. Because David had taken the time to prepare the drawings, the blueprints, and prepare the building of the temple, and he was going to get it going, but God actually took that from him. And he gave it to Solomon to complete the task. David was broken hearted. But here's the thing. Unlike the Israelites when they left Egypt, the whining and crying and wanking and said, oh, we don't like manna. More pheasant? More quail? Serious? Come on, God. You know, every time they turned around, there was something that they were bellyaching to God that he had just brought them out of that... Uh, place of bondage, and that was real bad. <clears throat> but they feared Israel so much that they put them into bondage and made it really hard labor so that they would weaken them. But many, there were, and I'm not saying that all of Israel was like this, but I mean, you know, what you got had a few that were not, and they prayed diligently to God and Quite honestly, I think that their prayers are what kept the rest of them. I do. You saw what happened to those that uh, talked Aaron into the golden calf. You know what happened to those that refused to believe that God was going to keep his promise and convinced everyone to the negative reports that they were accurate, and not to follow Caleb and Joshua, what happened to the rest of them? Oh, here, let me share that with you. The earth swallowed them, and they're, they're, those that agreed to follow with them swallowed them. They drove the negativity, and they denied that God was sovereign. They denied his promise. Earth opened up and swallowed them. They were no more. Unlike Enoch, who took a walk with God, and as the Bible says, he was no more, that's different. He and God walked home together. God liked walking with him, talking with him, sharing him, just like he loved walking and talking, sharing time in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. God loves walking and talking and sharing time with us. But here's the problem. That old guy, the devil. But anyway, back to the point. <clears throat> and I'm going to share this with you here. We're going back into Deuteronomy 
And then I'm going to go over here to the point I know I sidetracked, I can't help it. The Word of God, I get excited about stuff, and I'm flipping through, I'm chatting, and I find these things, and I get sidebarred. But here's the thing, eh, it's all His Word. Here we go. Back in Deuteronomy, going to find this in chapter 31. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is, it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Hmm. Sound kind of familiar, eh? Find that in Joshua 1 9. Joshua 1 9. He tells the man who succeeded, succeeded Moses. Book of Joshua 1 9. He took over leadership of Israel after Moses. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Whoosh. That sounds kind of familiar. That's very similar to something. Where's that one? Oh, that's right. That's in Isaiah. Some 1,000 years later? Is that about right? Almost. So then we go over to Isaiah 41, 9-13. Flipping pages. That's what that rustling is in the background that you hear. Whoops. Wrong chapter, sorry. Make sure I'm in the right place. I'm sorry. I tend to do that sometimes. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Hashem. Lord my God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So let's see. We got three, four hundred, And then, of course, Isaiah was 700 years before the birth of Christ. And then we have that same thing being said in the New Testament. So, let's see. So, now we're talking about, well, give or take a few. My math might not be absolutely correct. So, we're talking, give or take, about a thousand years of God reminding us that he is with us always, that he is our Lord, that he is not going to take us and forsake us. And remember, I've I've shared with you that there's a difference in um, leaving and forsaking. 
you know, you, you're in the shopping mall and you're with a friend or you're with your spouse or you're with your girlfriend or whatever and you turn and you look aside and where'd she go? Oh, she saw a sale item and or you saw a tool and, and you walked away from her. She's looking all around for you and you hear her call out or as they do nowadays with they call you on your cell phone and where'd you go? You just, you left me? Uh, no, I didn't leave you. I, I walked over here to check out these tools, babe. Sorry, I, I know I should have said something. And I've seen couples where they actually launch into a tirade at each other over a simple walk off to look at a tool or walk off to look at a purse. Men do the same thing otherwise, so don't get your near Christian to twist about that. Really? It's worth getting into a huge shouting match in a public place and making a public display of something that should be private over merely walking over to look at a sale purse that she'd been looking at for two or three years, but worried about taking care of your hind end and the children and putting back into the house instead of taking care of herself. And of course, she failed to notice this or how about that new tool that you wanted to to add to the collection so you can take care of the house and the yard work and all that stuff and you've been trying to save for it and couldn't and she didn't notice that. But when it comes down to the fact that you walked away, see, God doesn't walk away. He never walks away. That's leaving. That that's it. And people want to say that God left and they want to point their finger at somebody. They want to blame see, this is the thing that the devil does, that white noise interference. And we fall prey to that. Honestly, I fall prey when he throws certain things at me. I'll share that with you here in a minute. But see, this is this is the driving force that Satan has. Separation from God. Not being his adopted child, not going to the kingdom of heaven and sharing in that, not being with your loved ones who went to heaven before you, but getting you to believe that you're not going to make it and that you're going to be separated because the more individuals that he gets to walk away from God, separate themselves from God, the greater he thinks his victory is. But because he's not all-seeing and all-knowing and all, and he's got his little minions to spy on you because that's what Satan is. People get this misinterpretation of Satan. They think that he's, he is like God. He's nothing like God. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful, and he's not always present. That's why he has minions that work for him. And he slaps them around. He kicks them around, but they fear him. They're driven by fearful so they do what he's doing and his empty false promises false evidence that appear real temporal plane that they live on continually and they feed off these empty promises there is because ultimately the reason they're empty they might appear that they're full now but let me tell you what bottom line is they're gonna fall short and when it's all gone they're gonna say why didn't i listen why didn't i repent but oh too bad, so sad, too late. So what we need to do is when we come to God, we need to just not try to hide. We just need to open ourselves up. And here's here's what uh, Solomon did when, when they went back in and, and he finished the temple and everything. 
And I love this. I love this. In in First Kings eight fifty nine. Remember, we're following regula regula fidele. This is the rule of faith, Old Testament and New Testament. This is talking about the glory of the Lord God Almighty. Not only do we find in the New Testament and talk about, but you have to know. Remember, I've shared this with you before. That Jesus is found in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And, pardon me, I'm still flipping some pages here. So when Solomon completed the temple and they brought the Ark and the Covenant to the temple, and this was Solomon when they brought that in, he lifted his hand. And he was praying over Israel and he was praying for the people. He was praying for the nation. And actually I'm going to I'm going to start in verse 54 actually. 8.54 And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all the prayers and supplications unto the Lord, he arose, and from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven, and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that had given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Let's stop right there for a minute. Now, you see all these pharisaical, bourgeois, vain, arrogant individuals. The law of Moses, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. Well, Of all his good promises, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The law of Moses wasn't of Moses, was of God. And he presented it to Moses to present it to the people. Hmm. The Lord our God be with us, and he is with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. Ah, sounding familiar there? That he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. As the matter shall require. Well, let me share this with that. Okay, that's the regula fidele, rule of faith. You go from the Old Testament and Kings and you go all the way back to the book of Revelation. And, and John, while he was 
being visited by the Spirit of the Lord on the island of Patmos, all by himself, was not martyred like all the rest of them, but he was put out there on the island. Interesting, I'm going to have to research this some more because it just, it just came to me. All the others were martyred, but John was not. John, the beloved. Maybe he was saved for a special reason. Don't know. It's up to God. These things are up to God, not up to us. Decision to have John not martyred as the rest. See, because they tried to boil John. Actually, they tried to put him in a big cauldron and boil him in oil. That didn't work. They tried some other things. It didn't work. It was just that, so opposite of the way we would do this, we, we tend to give up. We leave and forsake the Lord. He does not leave nor forsake us. So the governments that were trying to cook him, poison him, stab him, Gave up. What did they do? They stuck him on the island of Patmos all by himself. Except that he wasn't by himself. The angels came and visited Jesus, the Lord God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. God came in visitation and spoke with him. And the important words that Solomon Solomon was speaking. And that these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. Hello. God knows what's required for the daily walk, but we have this tendency because God gave us a gift and we turn it into a curse that we always try to figure out what's coming. He gave us the ability to pre-plan, but what do we do? We fill up our daily planner so full of garbage that it becomes encumbrance and our ability to get to church, our ability to spend time with our family, um, to share the word, to spend time in prayer, to, to do, to do, to do, to do. But here's the thing. God doesn't require a to-do list for him. Just do it. He doesn't require that you fill a daily planner to, okay, so I start my day at 5 a.m. to get ready for work, so I'm going to have to backtrack until 4 a.m., and I don't get off work until such and try to pre-plan this stuff. Oh, goodness gracious. The Holy Spirit wakes me up before my alarm clock goes off and come out and I I get into the word and I, I do what I do. I do my father's business. My day starts with prayer to the Lord God. And if I slip, I'm like, oh, I grab myself quickly before continuing into anything else and I make sure to get to him. My day ends with my head on the pillow and I'm praying for my brothers and my sisters and loved ones and strength and courage and boldness and uprightness. We are told to start our day, our going out and our coming in. 
So what we need to do is we need to get with God regular and we come to him and just hang out. Don't have to be doing anything. Don't have to throw ourselves down. God tells us this a number of times through the Bible is that God likes us to spend time with him. We've been told, wait upon the Lord and he shall renew your strength. He shall make you to mount up on wings as eagles. Eagles are the highest flying birds. You just fly. Icarus in Greek mythology followed the eagles. His father said, don't follow the eagles. They fly too high. Well, he was enamored with the eagles and on those wings that he and his father had made and he tried to do what God made them to do and he followed them and he kept following and going and going higher and higher and pretty soon it started getting really warm and then the wax melted and Icarus fell to his death in the sea. Greeks like tragic poems, poetry. and I don't know why. So he fell to his death in the sea. Why? Because, number one, he was a man and he shouldn't have been flying up there and trying to do what God created. And he, himself and his father, so broke that rule and then didn't listen to his father and kept going higher and higher and ended up in his own destruction death so when we do on our own or we don't follow these things like Solomon did when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the temple and remember what he was saying And may these words of my prayer be constantly before the Lord day and night so that he helps me in all of Israel accordance with our daily needs. That's a different translation there, but the same thing I just read to you in my King James Version. On our daily need, God knows what we need on a daily basis. We don't have to write a note down and tell him. He likes us, however... He enjoys us to talk with him. And, and as he did with John and the island of Patmos, I started to, to share this with you a little bit ago. And then off I went on the sidebar. <laughs> John was given the vision and he was told that prayers are a sweet savor to the Lord God. Now, when they, they talk about being a savor to the Lord, not talking about well, I don't know, because taste has to do with smell. Many of you may not know this. Some of you may, but your taste depends on what you're smelling. And it's all tied and connected together. Have you noticed that when you smell certain things that are really good smelling that your mouth starts to water? But anyway... The prayers from the saints. And here's, here's the thing. Let me share this with you as well. Saint is never in a singular form in the Bible. And when they speak of the saints, 
the references to the body of Christ, those who are believers and those who believe and the only begotten Son of the Lord God Almighty who put their faith in God and follow the Holy Spirit and the guidance of their steps. Saints. The prayers of the saints are like a sweet savor to the Lord God Almighty. So he, it's a, a sweet savor to his nostril, I believe is exactly what the, what the verse says. And that God does indeed save our prayer. Just like someone prayed, that they'd be constantly with the Lord. They are. Now, of course, Solomon prayed this, that it would be so. John was shown this to be so some thousand, some, some years later. Remember that Isaiah and, and David, they were writing about Jesus way before he was born, Isaiah was talking about Jesus Christ 700 years before his birth. Remember, there's a, I think it's Isaiah 53, I believe it is, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as if it had already happened. And this is 700 years before Jesus even born. Now we go to the book of Revelation, Regula Fidelity, the rule of faith. You go back to the book of Revelation, you just left Kings talking about Solomon, who's talking about the prayers, and then you go all the way down into the book of Revelation, and our prayers are saved in golden vials in God's temple, that he keeps them, and he hears them, and they're like a sweet perfume to his nostrils. He loves our prayers. God loves personal relationship with his children. And those of you that think he's just going to walk away from you, you are listening to the white noise of the devil. This is the fate. This is the devil's favorite. Let, I'm going to share these with you. I was going to do it later, but I'm going to do it now. Number one, vanity, which walks down the path hand in hand with arrogance. Not bold confidence, arrogance. There is a very, very profound difference in this. And people don't know the difference, that they're not synonymous. I used to think that Paul was arrogant. Paul is not arrogant. Paul is confident. He is bold in the righteousness that the Lord gave him when he knocked him off his ass into the middle of the road, ended up on the way to Damascus and went and stood over him through the bold, bright light he couldn't even see. And he blinded him for days. And then he came to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? And then when he started on his mission, I used to think, man, that guy is so arrogant. No, he's not. He's not arrogant. He's bold and confident in what the Lord told him and directed him to do. Some of you out there might think that I'm arrogant. Well, I don't care. I've shared that with you already. And I'm not saying that in a, in a mean way. I'm saying that your valuation of what I'm doing, my Lord's work, my God has called me and doing what he has asked me to do. Your valuation is not of import to me. The value comes from my Lord God. And there are individuals that have their wizard's degree in theology who are arrogant and vain 
because they think they're smarter than anybody else. And they think that I should not have a position doing what I'm doing. Well, that's too bad. It's not up to them. Just like I prayed this thing. God gave me this platform because he thinks it's what I should be doing. Well, guess what? Their vanity and their arrogance and pushing people to do what they want them to do instead of what God wants them to do instead of praying over them and leading like they should be. Vanity, the lack of real value. Hollowness, worthlessness. The vanity of a selfish life. Something worthless, trivial, or pointless. So, those who put themselves in vanity, arrogance, above everyone else. See, that is totally contrary to the teaching of the Word of God. He tells us that, and Jesus Christ himself said, I came to serve, not to be served. He did not come as a lion from the tribe of Judah. He did not come as our king, which he was in all things, but he came humbly. He was born in a stable for Pete's sake. He was born of a craftsman and a carpenter from the town of Nazareth. He was born of a teenage woman, young girl had no midwife or husband. They birthed their child in a stable and he slept in a manger. Okay, here's the thing. Let, let's do a little quick side shot here. A manger is the cradle that's used for feeding the animals to keep the food up out of the dirt and floor. And You know, because they, quite honestly, they, they pee and poop in there. I mean, that's where they, they reside and, you know, they do it separate from their bed, but there is, that's down there. So can you imagine, Joseph had to muck the stable before he brought his wife and soon-to-be child in. And the manger, which is an angular foldable thing so they can move it out of the way when the animals come in to rest and sleep. And when they get ready to feed them, they unfold it and put the straw in there. Well, that's what Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah came when he was a sacrificial lamb. That's what he slept in. <sighs> Oof. So he came humbly, not as a lion. He came as a sacrificial lamb. And he told those around, and they didn't get it. The first, the arrogant, pharisaical, the vain Pharisees who tried to make him out to be the blasphemer. And it would have just, you know, of course, Jesus knew this. This is why he didn't use that phrase. Thank you, Father, for that clarification. I just, I, <laughs> I was just kind of muttering to myself about that, but not really to myself talking. And, and God just responded is that it, it wouldn't have proven anything anyway. It could have proven to who? Not to the Pharisees because they were so caught up in their vanity. When they were throwing up the law of Moses, the law of Moses, the law of Moses, Jesus could have looked them boldly straight in the eye and he would have been speaking the truth, which he did all the time anyway. He says, I am the law of Moses. In that phrase, listen to what he's saying. 
if you would respond that way, I am. First of all, just like he did in the book of Revelation, announcing the fact that he and God, our Father, are one and they are united and that he was with God from the beginning. He is the I am, the great I am. And he would have been telling them, I am the law that was given to Moses in so many words. I am the law of Moses. Would have been truth. He would have been revealing that he is the great I am. So when Moses was talking to the burning bush that wasn't consumed, it says, well, you know, they're going to have a hard time believing me. Who do I tell them sent me? And of course, God tells him, you tell them I am sent you. So it wouldn't have mattered because they were so caught up in their vanity and their their uh, their own self-worth that they would have believed anyway. And it just would have fortified their belief that he is a blasphemer because he wasn't following the law of Moses as they'd like to declare so often. And... Although I like the word, and I know that it's real, but now those who have these degrees and they think that they're so much smarter than everybody else, the word self-degradation doesn't even exist anymore. They took it out of the English language. Wow, they sure have a whole lot of people that know what's better for everybody else. I like the word. Um, this one is almost the same thing. But this, this is what the devil loves to drive us into. Self-degradation... But now they don't use that word. They use self-deprecating. Almost the same thing. But they like, I guess they didn't like the way the other ones sound. Self-deprecating. Belittling or undervaluing oneself. You do something, you trip and you fall. And you think that God might not have seen you, but now the devil and his minions, they come at you and they're, oh, let us help you up. We'll help you up, you know? And they, and I just get these, they got this little sing-songy thing they do. Oh, we'll help you up. Yes, we're here to help you. You know that you did this. You know you can't go and you can't talk to God now. You can't possibly go talk to God. You're going to go to God after doing that? You can't. You know you can't even go to church. You know he's going to know what you did. You can't. And read the Bible. You think that you are worthy to even read the Bible and talk to God now after what you just did? The sad part of it is that there are many that believe the white noise interference of the minions from hell. And they do that self-deprecate. I do it. If I've done something that really troubles my heart and I sit there and I'm, I'm man, I can't, I can't possibly get in the word. How am I supposed to share the word of God? How am I supposed to even talk to God? And then the Holy Spirit, he gives me this little kind of, he does this sometimes, he flicks me on the back of my ear. And he goes, excuse me, son. You listen to me now. I love you. I don't stop loving you. 
I loved you when I came and I died on the cross for you. I love you now. I know what you did already. It wasn't hidden from me. I know what you were thinking. I know what you're doing and I know what you're going through. But I'd like you to talk to me. I'd like you to share this with me anyway. I'm your guide. I'm your counselor. I'm your teacher. I'm your father. I died for you. Just come and talk. I like a personal relationship with you. Don't be and don't follow these vainglorious individuals that will do that sort of thing and think that they're so much smarter than you are. Your valuation, your value doesn't come from them. It comes from me. I love you and value you so greatly that I came and I died for you. This bird speaks slightly of or treat that way, depreciate, belittle, to bring reproach or discredit, lower the estimation of. See, these are disparaging remarks. These remarks, they come from those that are functioning from the devil because see, that sort of thing is not from God. God tells us to edify, to uplift. Once in a while, those that are told will admonish those that are in the word. And if those that are truly in the word are following and paying attention to the word of God, they will know that is truth. They won't whine and cry about it and they won't complain about it. Who does he think he is? Who does he think she is? Well, we're supposed to be able to do that according to the word of God that we're supposed to be able to do that once in a while and it might need to be done. And it's got nothing to do with being vain or anything, which I used to think of Paul. I used to think, man, how's he talking to those people like that? He's supposed to be preaching. Well, guess what? That's exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He was given that mission by Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. He chose Paul. He decided Paul's value was greater than what everyone else said. Everyone feared Paul because Paul was being paid and used to hunt down those that were in the way. And when I say in the way, I don't mean blocking or encumbering. Of course, the Romans and the Jews thought that, but the way is what they used to call Christianity back before they were called Christians. There was a time when the term Christian was not used. And back in the day, they were using the agape, the ichthus. The sign of the fish, not the sign of the cross, because he needed a place to be able to hide. Because Saul the hunter was on the prowl, and he was after them. So, remember this, brothers and sisters. Do not listen to that white noise interference of the devil. Because our value is much higher. God decides our valuation. He validates our walk and our word if it's in his way 
That's where the validation comes. It doesn't come when anybody else says, and this is much of what the problem is that we have in the world today, is we place more value and more validation on what others say about us. Seek not from mammon what you should be seeking from Lord God Abba Yahweh. Don't look to man what you should be getting from God. You are in my prayers on my going out and my coming in. Be strong, be bold, be upright, and be courageous. There is still coming a day when we are going to need all of that unless the Lord takes us from this plane of existence. Don't fear. Be not afraid nor dismayed. Have I not commanded you to be of good courage? For I am Hashem. Your Lord thy God, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. That's a promise from him. Be blessed, brothers and sisters.